You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, church. My name is Helen Chenard, and I've enjoyed attending The Village Church for the past 12 years. And for the past 12 years, I've enjoyed serving in Kids Village, where I volunteer with third and fourth grade During the week, I lead a women's home group and also teach a women's Bible study. This morning, I would like you to open your Bibles to John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. That's John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Helen. Hey, good morning. How are we? We doing well? Oh, wait, I'm supposed to. He is risen. There we go. It's good to see you. Um, I found this in my closet, deep, 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 deep in the closet. Uh, I I regretted it almost immediately. Uh, I have been sweaty and stifled all morning, but it's okay. Uh, We'll let the word do the work. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. If you don't have one, there's a hardback black one somewhere around you. Uh, But we just want to look at these couple of verses here on Easter Sunday. Just want to marvel at who Jesus is and what he's promised and why we can believe it, especially today uh, as we celebrate his resurrection from uh, the dead. And so my my plan is just to show you out of this passage two things. Uh, One is the person of Jesus. Who are we talking about here, right? Uh, And then the promises of Jesus. What does it mean that he is that person? And then uh, we'll be done. And you can go grab some lunch or or whatever you have in your future. In 2006, Lauren and I, she was just up here singing, we moved to this area. Uh, we We first bought a house in Corinth, Uh, But we wanted to be on this side of the bridge. This is where the church was. So we wanted to be near the church. We wanted to live in this community. Uh, And and so we finally got a house. Uh, $24.99 didn't go across the lake yet. So back then, there was only one way to get to this side. Uh, And so we wanted to live where we ministered. And so we finally were able to buy a house. Uh, And I I don't know your background. Here's what I married into. Uh, I married into a family that buys houses that they can afford simply because of the dilapidated state of the house. Uh, and then you spend three or four years getting it just like you want it in time to sell it and go buy another junker and start all over. And so that I didn't know, I didn't hear that in the vows on our wedding day, but apparently I said yes to that. Uh, and that is what we have done in every house we have ever lived in. And so we, we got this house, we, this house, we could afford this house because this house needed some work. Uh, and so we went to work and we wanted uh, it to be a place of hospitality and ministry. I don't know if you pick up on this, but I'm a total extrovert. So let, let's hang. Let's get to know uh, the congregation. The congregation is about 168 people uh, back then. Things have changed. I uh, can't have you all over, but uh, that, that's what we wanted. We wanted a house that we could do ministry out of. And so we did the things that we needed to do, moved walls, did all that, and kind of got ready uh, to have a home where we could host, love people well, ask God to move in power, and then watch him do so. And so uh, that's what we did. We got it all ready. And the first summer came along, and, and the house started to reek, uh, like something died in the walls or the attic, like the, the smell of death. Uh, and, and listen, I don't, I don't know what you know about this, but they're in a candle or a spray bottle of Febreze that can do anything except make death 
and decay smell like perfumed death and decay. Uh, and so we were lighting candles and spraying for breeze, and it literally ground everything to a halt because you don't want anybody to come over when your house smells like there's a dead cat in the wall. You, you still, you're, not, you're not as apt to go, hey, come over and hang out. Like you like have a burrito on the front porch. You can't come in here. Uh, and so that's what we dealt with. We're like, hey, it's 170 degrees outside. Two weeks from now, this thing will be gone, gone, uh, and we can move on. But two months later, it wasn't gone. It, it just persisted in stinking. Um, and so by the end of the summer, really as we moved into the fall, so here December, uh, it stopped smelling altogether. And we were like, oh, praise God. And, and life kind of resumed. And then the next summer came along and, and the temperature spiked again and there the smell returned. And you're like, we can't, this can't be happening two years in a row. Uh, and so we tried to identify where the smell was coming from. It smelled like something was happening in the attic. So we pulled the attic down and would get up there. But, you know, I was fully expecting to see like a dead horse or something by the smell of it. Uh, and there was nothing up there. Like we went and dug around. There was just no dead animals. And so I'm like, do we start ripping out sheetrock? Like, what's the play here? And my father-in-law was like, it's going to be fine. Just have to endure it for a while. So we did it, bought like 70 candles uh, and just lit them all uh, and just tried to survive it because you... Like, if you live in that, it, you'll, it'll punch you in the face when you walk in the door, but then after a while, you don't smell it as much. So like here, I'm not trying to be offensive today, it's Easter, but your house has a smell. Like I could walk into your house, I could look, like, my, you, like, you like some curry, you, you like some fried chicken, you, you like, I could pick up on things about you because of your house, where our house, it smell like, oh, these people kill things and, and just hang them in their attic. And, and so it's a problem. And so finally, at the end of the second year, the smell went away and we were like, okay, praise God. And then the third year rolled around and it got hot and the smell came back. And I don't know how well you know your pastor. I've got a good, like one or two just absolute rage freakouts a year in me, all right? And so this was it. I mean, after three years, uh, everything we could try to make this smell go away and we couldn't even identify what the source of the stank was. And so I had been gone for a week and came home, uh, Lauren and the kids were out and I walk in and it was, it just like hit me in the face so hard as I walked into this house that we'd worked so hard on that I just freaked out, man. I mean, I'm just telling you like, like I need counseling freaked out. And so I found a hammer. I went up in the attic and started pulling up the floorboards in like a crazy person. Right. And, and like there was something buried under those boards. And as I worked through those boards, as I got close to the air conditioner in our attic, I found a canister of insecticide that had holes poked all in it. And it was buried or somebody had like put it in there and then put wood over the top of it so that all year long that poison would seep. And when it got hot, you would smell the poison in the house. Now, if you're like, what was that? I'm like, I don't know. I've got some theories, not that I will share with you for time's sake, but that's, and, and so we, we took it out, we wrapped it up, we threw it away, and about a month later, our house stopped smelling, stopped stinking like death. Now, I, I'm telling you that illustration because when the Bible talks about you and I and the state of our souls outside of, I've picked every one of these words, an intimate relationship with God through Jesus. So when the Bible talks about the state of your soul and my soul outside of an intimate relationship with God through Jesus, it uses this kind of language and this kind of imagery that we are dead, that we have a stench to us, whether we know it or not. And, and I would like to say that the illustration works really well because when things get hot for you, you realize 
that death is at work. Most of the time, we're not. We're too busy to know that death is at work. But when it gets hot enough, we're like, oh man, there, there's something stinks here, right? So let me show you this. This is Ephesians chapter two, one through three. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And listen to what he says. Among whom we all, and, and you should circle that or underline it just so we can't get self-righteous, or, or just that all, if you dig into the Greek, means all. Everyone, right? So we all, every one of us, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. I love this passage because it's the great equalizer. Here's what this means. Paul is making the argument that regardless of your background, regardless of your present reality, we all find ourselves right there, dead in our trespasses and sins. So here's what's funny about being in the Bible Belt. Some people rebel against God with just like wild licentiousness, right? Like you went hard. And then other people rebel against God by trying to be good enough that God owes them. Are you tracking me? So some people actually rebel against God with church. Isn't that crazy? Like, they'll be good enough, they'll be moral enough, they'll be to, like, put God in their debt. But this text is saying it doesn't matter what your background is. If your mom gave birth to you on the altar and the pastor smacked your bottom and your first word was, Jesus, they just baptized you right there. You're in this text. Or let's say the opposite was true and your mom gave birth to you in that bar. And you went hard, man. You went hard early and often and you got a kind of past that would make the devil blush. You're here too. And this calls the sinner up and presses the self-righteous down and says, no, 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 the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And, and so he makes the argument, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is working the sons of disobedience. All of us gave into our compulsions, gave into our appetites, didn't submit to the creator God and felt like we would be a better God than God himself, all of us. Nobody immune, nobody innocent, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 5, the apostle Paul puts it like this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, he's referencing Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Do you hear it? Outside of an intimate relationship with God through Jesus, our soul is seen in the spiritual realm as dead and death leads to decay and decay stinks. And then lastly, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, or Christ Jesus, our Lord. So again, it's this, this theme that outside of submission to the creator of the universe, our creator, outside of that, then death is at work in us that there will be an aroma about us that you may or may not be able to smell depending on the heat in your life. And why I love this passage today is this passage steps in as the solution to this death. And, and here's the story. Let me set up the story. This is John 11. It's one of the more famous stories in the New Testament. You might not even have a church background. You might know this story. It's the raising of Lazarus. So there's this family that Jesus is tight with. Uh, it's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And you will not get 
a greater difference in children than those three. Uh, and so Martha's kind of type A, maybe an eight on the Enneagram. She's always down to fight. She wants to, she wants to talk about it, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, and then Mary, she's more meek and quiet and it'll work itself out. She wants to avoid conflict. Uh, and then we don't know much about Lazarus other than he gets sick and Martha and Mary send a runner to Jesus who's about two days away doing ministry. And they let him, hey, Lazarus is really, really sick. He's not, do, he's not gonna make it. Jesus, will you get over here? Will you come? Will you heal this man that you love, your brother? Will you come heal our brother? And Jesus is like, absolutely. And then he stays for two more days doing ministry. He doesn't drop everything and go to heal Lazarus. He actually stays and finishes what he started. And then he goes and Lazarus has died. In fact, not only had Lazarus died, Lazarus died right after they had asked Jesus to come. And so at this point, Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. And so they're mourning, they brought in professional mourners and all the ladies are wailing and, and they hear, oh, Jesus is on his way and Martha's got some things to say. You know, Martha, they're eight, those eights on the Enneagram, they always wanna talk about something. And, and so Martha like beelines out to find him. Like, and she starts to, had you been here, if you would have come, if you would have dropped and you'd have got here, you could have healed him. And now our brother's dead. Like, where were you? What in the world, Jesus? And Jesus asked her, like, do you believe? Do you believe that I can resurrect him from the grave? And, and Martha says, probably what most good moral Bible Belt Christian people would say. I know that on the last day, you will raise him from the dead. That, that's what Martha says. And then here's Jesus's response to her saying, I know in the last days that you will raise him from the dead. Look at what he says. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. That's who he is. Here are his promises. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And they ask her the question, do you believe this? And we didn't read it today, but her response is, yes, Lord, I do. So, so here's what's happening. Uh, Jesus is trying to reorient Martha's thinking away from an ethereal future event to a present reality. Are you tracking with me on that? So Jesus didn't say, Martha, don't you believe in heaven? Martha, don't you believe that Lazarus is in a better place? That, that's not what he says. He's trying to completely reorient her imagination. He's not saying, hey, one day you'll be made new. One day you'll be resurrected. He's saying, I am the resurrection. He's saying resurrection is here now. He, he's not saying, do you believe that I can raise Lazarus from the grave? He's not asking, do you think you're going to end up in heaven with all your family members? That's not the question. He's saying, I am the resurrection. There is no resurrection outside of me. And this is both physical and spiritual. This is physical in that there will be a physical resurrection. I don't know your background in church. I don't know how much of your theology has been shaped by cartoons, but your future is not angel wings and a harp sitting on a cloud somewhere. If that's it, I don't want it. The Bible speaks of a true resurrection, an embodied physical resurrection in a physically remade heaven and earth where death and decay is gone. So it's not ethereal. You're not going to be a spirit floating around. And please don't. If you're ever at a funeral and you get to tell a testimony, your buddy, your friend, your wife, they're not an angel. The angels wish they were us. The Bible says they look at us and they're blown away that we're called sons and daughters. So your loved one's not an angel. The, the angels want to be your loved one. 
He's pointing to a physical, literal resurrection, but he's offering resurrection right now. To, To Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection now. Yes, all things will be made new. Yes, physical, literal resurrection, but I'm here right now. Like the death and decay that sin has brought into your life, brought into this world. I, I, can, I can resurrect you right now. I am the resurrection from the death that sin brings. And then he goes beyond that and he starts to argue that he's not just the resurrection, but that he is life. Now we talk about this all the time. In fact, in 20 years here, I'm, I think probably every other week, if not every week, I try to figure out how to work this in. That when Jesus comes, he comes not with commandments, but, but he comes with life. Jesus doesn't show up with the new Ten Commandments like, do this and everything's going to go your way. That's not his argument. His argument is, I am life. Which means if you want life, life as it was meant, life as it was designed by its creator, then we find that only in Jesus. So let me, let me try to unpack that by using an illustration. I'm not one of those guys that think if you're not a Christian, you're a miserable, depressed, lonely, right? I just don't believe that. Plenty of people who don't know Jesus, they come off as pretty well-adjusted, kind, nice, normal people. Anybody else would just be like, yeah, not everybody that's uh, not a Christian is like this miserable, violent, terrible person, right? No, it is. But, but I will say this. There is, there is a level of gladness available to the saints that those outside of the kingdom can never enjoy. Let me use this, let me use one simple illustration. Um, let, let's say that after this, um, we go get a steak, right? Let's do it. We're gonna go to Marty's, we're gonna grab a steak, we're gonna order it medium rare because if you cook it more than that, you should just get chicken. We can, t- we can argue about that later, right? You cook that and put some sauce on it, order chicken or a salad, leave that alone. Just a complete waste. That's, a, that's an opinion, maybe somewhere in the Old Testament, but it, let's say we get that steak, all right? Medium rare, glistening with salt and goodness. Cut a piece of that, you put it in your mouth. And if you're not a believer, the pleasure of that taste will be there. I mean, oh my gosh, that's good. And then that's it. The pleasure you get is the pleasure of the taste. But for the believer, we get the pleasure of the taste and they get to consummate the pleasure with praise. You with me? So, so if you're not a believer, when you have sex, you get sex. When you eat food, you get food. When you go on vacation, you get vacation. When you, like, like you fill in the blank, you can do it. Like you don't have to know Jesus, love Jesus, trust Jesus, follow Jesus, and you can experience all the goodness of common grace, and it'll be awesome. But it won't be all that it could be. For the believer, we taste the filet and go, what kind of insane, crazy God loves us and cares for us to make that tastes like that. And we've got somewhere to go past the pleasure. And, and so that pleasure is consummated in praise. But, but if you're not a Christian, you have nothing to praise, except maybe yourself. And look, I love you, but you make a real crummy God. Well, I'm sure you're awesome. Like, I'm, I'm sure if I could get to know you, I'd be like, you've got a lot of gifts and abilities. Great, but you make a really trashy God. You don't think so? You don't seem like you want to agree with that. You're like, actually, I think I got, are you kidding me? Anyway. So he's making the argument. Here's, here's what he says. This is John 10, 10. I, uh, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Do you hear it? I've come that you might have life. Not that you would exist, but you would actually live, that you would actually get a sense of ultimate reality. I've come to give you life. I haven't come to judge you or condemn you. I've come to lead you into the fullness of life. 
And King David would say it like this in Psalm 16, 11. We're actually in this passage just a couple of weeks ago. You have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, the eternal pleasures at your right hand, right? This is Jesus not saying, hey, do these things and you'll live. He's saying life is found in me. And, and chase these things because they're holy and they're my commandments. But when you fall, when you stumble, when you screw up, anybody's like, I'm consistently doing that. You're not. Oh my gosh, four of you in here. I am killing this pastor game if only four of you are struggling with this. Thank you. I'm, I feel so encouraged this morning, right? Uh, if you're like, Jesus moves towards us in love and grace. So that here we go. He said, this way, walk in these commandments. And then when we stumble and fall, not if, but when, he, he meets us. With grace. And, and so he's making the argument, I'm life. I'm the, I'm the resurrection. I'm the life. And then from this, if we believe this, if we put our faith in that, if we build our life around that, he's got these two promises that are actually attached to this text. Let's look at the first one. The first promise is that death leads to life if we've trusted in Jesus. Look, he, he makes the argument, whoever believes in me as resurrection and life, though he die, yet he shall live. Now, here's what I love about this promise. One, um, it's hard for us to believe this promise in 2023. Here's why. He's saying that the way to life, the way to self-fulfillment, the way to meaning and purpose and depth is not by grasping for it of your own accord, but rather submitting to a kinder king than you are. Are, are you tracking with me? He's making the argument that if you want what you crave in your soul, like what you're desperately hungry for, that masquerades as success or acceptance or control, it masquerades as all sorts, but that thing in your guts that haunts you, that you're chasing, that you want to, to give you fulfillment according to this passage, isn't found in your grasping and manipulation and hard work, but actually in dying to yourself and trusting that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Let me show you. This is John 12, 24 through 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here we go, verse 25. Whoever loses his life, whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life in this world, so there's a caveat, will keep it for eternal life. So, um, let, let's make some eye contact. I know it's Easter. I haven't seen some of you since Christmas, so let's just lean in. I'm just kidding. I'm glad you're here. That was rude. I'm not normally rude like that. It's Easter. I've had a lot of coffee. I'm a little jet lagged. Just got back from India. All right, look at me. I, it is both a biblical fact and the data is bearing out sociologically in the sciences right now that the more you make your life about you, the more neurotic and anxious you become. The more you navel gaze and you think you're the one to bring about your own kind of purpose and meaning and pleasure, the more you do that, the more neurotic you're going to become. And the more neurotic you are, you know, hyper fixating on yourself and your success and your, the, the more you do that, the more you grow in anxiety and fear. Why? Because you know you can't control it. Because even though you weren't with me earlier, you make a really crummy God. Decent man, decent woman, crummy God. And so when you take on the mantle of deity, you have no choice except to be anxious because you know how powerless you actually are. You know how weak you actually are. And so Jesus is like, here's the great news. Die and, and live. 
Take the compulsions that we read about in Ephesians 2, the compulsions of the mind and the heart and the flesh, and die to them. Like, give them to me. Come under the weight of my authority and learn that it's light, that it's a light burden. It's not a crushing burden. Stop trying to make your own way and come rest in relationship with me. And then you're free of being neurotic and free of anxiety because he's the king of, he knows all things. I'm safe in his hand. Like, seriously, what could you do to me if I'm his? Could you not like me? I'll, I'll recover from that. I'm liked. I know who I am. That'd say something about you, not something about me. Like, what, what happens if a horrific tragedy befalls my life? Well, then I'm not like, oh, my God, I knew God was going to do this to me because I didn't have a good quiet time last week, so it's only a matter of time until he gave me cancer or killed my, right? It's just, it's madness. It's neurotic. It's wildness. And, and the scriptures say, Jesus is saying, listen, I am the resurrection. I am the life. You want to live death to self and surrender to me. You will find me kind, you you will find me generous, you will find me merciful, but you must come. And then he makes this other argument that we need probably talk about. He he says next that if you live in Christ, that you won't die. I mean, he says it. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he actually says it again a couple of chapters from now in John 8, 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, let's chat about this, and here's why I need to chat about this. I've done about 300 funerals since I've been the pastor here the last 20 years. That's a lot of Christian people that apparently saw death. So what are we to make of this little sentence that, that if we believe that he's the resurrection and life, that we'll never see death? That though we die, we will live. Well, well I think he's, he's doing two things. Uh, one is in the text, and another, I'm going to move my Bible out of the way so we can just conjecture, just think about what it might be like. Uh, the, the first is this. He, he is talking about the experience of eternal life in a way that we don't wait for heaven. So, so the way that the Bible teaches our relationship with God is at our salvation. When we, by faith alone, in his grace alone, surrender to Christ as king, the Holy Spirit indwells in us, and we begin to experience the life of God, eternal life, life in the kingdom immediately. And then what happens is over the course of our lives, our experience of that life grows and grows and grows into eternity where it grows and grows and grows unfettered by sin and death and our foolishness. Are you tracking with me? And this is what I meant earlier by God takes the poison out and then over a period of time, our lives will stink less and less. You tracking with me? That that that's what he's saying here, that eternal life isn't what happens when you die and go to heaven, that it's available to you right now. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Death is the way to life, and as you live, you will not see death. You will continue to grow. Now, on the kind of practical side of things here, let me do this. This is my Bible. This is not in the Bible. This is conjecture. And if you're like, you shouldn't say it. If it's not. No, we can, I'm, I'm being honest. It's conjecture. Here's what I think might just happen. I wonder if, because Jesus says this frequently, I wonder if right before we die, like that moment right before we die, if an angel might just show up and go, hey, man, you want to get out of here? Hey, this is about to be bad. Why don't we bounce? And, and then just that moment or two, right before we die, we're gone. So we don't actually see death. Now, I don't know if that's how it's going to play out. I won't be able to tell you if it is. But I wonder, it, it's not, it doesn't seem to go against the character of God or his desire nor his spoken promises. But the weight of the text isn't that. That's conjecture. 
The weight of the text is eternal life is available to you now, and you don't have to wait to heaven to get it. But actually, it should be ever-expanding in our souls now. Now, after Jesus makes this argument, this is who I am, this is what I'm promising, he asks this great question. I think it's the question that you and I have to end on. Here's this question. You ready? Do you believe this? Not, do you believe in heaven? Not, do you think you're a good person? Not, do you think one day people will be resurrected from the grave? Not, none of those are in view. He says, do you believe this, that right now I am the resurrection and there is no resurrection outside of me? And that I am the life and there is no life outside of me? Do you believe that death will lead to life? Do you believe that in me, though you die, you will still live? Do you believe this, Martha? He's asking you and me, do you believe this today? Um, I have a friend, and he says that the essence of Christianity is in its pronouns. And I know it's a weird time to talk about pronouns, but let's dive in. Here's, here's what he would say. If you believe, if you're in here this morning, right? And you, you, I mean, gosh, and you would say, uh, the Son of God came down as Jesus He lived a perfect life. He was crucified on the cross. He was resurrected on the third day. He ascended to the Father, and he will one day return to gather his people to himself. All of that is true, and you believing that does not make you a Christian. The devil believes that. So my friend argues it's actually in the pronouns. Like, do you believe that the Son of God came for you? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that he was resurrected to pay for your sins fully, freely, and forever? Do you believe that he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he currently intercedes for you? Do you believe that he will one day come and redeem and make all things new? And we, you and I, will rule and reign with him forever. Do you believe? Because that is what makes you a Christian. Not the belief of historic fact but a heart surrender to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords personally. The argument here is to let Jesus rip up the floorboards. To rip up the floorboards, to remove the poison, and then to lay our lives down trusting that over a period of time, the stink from death will get less and less and less until it's completely gone. And this is what we orient our lives around. This is what we trust in. This is what we've built to. And even today as we celebrate the resurrection, all these things are possible because he was raised. Man, I've been in this community a long time, and I, the, the number of you that think, and, and it's such an arrogant posture. I know it's Easter and I'm supposed to be nice, but the, the number of you that think like you've outsend his grace. <laughs> are you serious, right? Like, so pathetic. Like that you're the one person that Jesus can't forgive and love and move towards with an intimate relationship? That that dumb thing that haunts you, that you participated in, that still makes you nauseous if you think about it? Like that the Lord can't heal that? Can't forgive that? Can't redeem that? Can't resurrect that? Can't twist that on its head and use it to, to push back darkness as, as your own ministry, as he uses you in his kingdom? Are you, like this is, like I am the resurrection and the life. All that was dead in you, I'll, I'll bring back to life, but, but with a resurrected body. And so he asks Martha and he asks us, 
do you believe this? And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray for us, there's going to be a group of men and women. They're going to come up front. They're just our prayer team. They're here for you. They're here because they love the Lord and they've been earnestly praying for you all week. And, and here's the invitation from the text. The invitation today is that if you've never really said yes to Jesus, if you've got a list of things you believe, but it's not personalized, it's not you saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus, I'm surrendering my heart to Jesus, but it's a more kind of, it's that Martha thing, it's like this kind of vague Christian idea where, yeah, there's a Jesus, and yeah, one day I'll serve him, and yeah, it's just kind of this nebulous, there's nothing about it that's right now. What Jesus is trying to yank Martha into is right now. Resurrection now, life now, death for life right now. Life that avoids death now. And, and I wonder if today might be the first time in your life you're just like, you know what, I'm, okay, I'm in, I'm saying yes. I mean, some of you have been here for 10 years. And you just hear about Jesus every week and because I, I can be pointed, you, it's like penance to you or something. You're just like, oh, I feel better. And then you just head on out and I'm just trying to introduce you to the guy behind me. I'm just trying to introduce you to the one who, who actually is the resurrection in life. And so maybe it's the day you just come and grab a hand and you're just like, I just want to say yes to Jesus. I just want to, uh, I, he's, a, he's a kinder king than I am. I want to say yes. And, and then we'll pray for you and rejoice in that and celebrate God's good grace on your life. But I also want to make this available to you. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian. And, and you're, by the grace of God, you're doing the best you can with where you are. You're, you're on time. God's working in your life. But this is a season where the heat in your life has revealed that there's some stench of death still around. And so you're in a moment where the Lord would be bidding you towards obedience and you feel to be obedient to this thing the Lord's asking you to do would be the death of you. And so instead of surrendering to Jesus, dying to self, laying our own compulsions and desires down to walk in obedience. You've done that thing so many of us do where we've got like one foot on the promises of God and one foot on the world because we don't know if that's gonna hold. We don't know if that's gonna hold. So man, I, I trust you, God, but I'm gonna just keep my foot over here because man, what if you don't? And so if, instead of saying, I know this is what he wants for me, so I'm gonna just submit. You kind of do that, um, if you've got kids, that delayed obedience thing, you know what I'm talking about? where I'll do it, but I'm just not sure when. Well, well, I wanna give you an opportunity just to confess and come and receive prayer. Just say, man, I'm in a season where the heat has, man, it, I don't know, maybe it's a relationship with your spouse or with your kid or some issue with money. I, I don't know, what's, there's so many things it could be, but, but to just go, I can't be obedient because I think if I'm obedient, this, this, and this might happen, is to refuse to die to yourself and try to manage and control, manipulate, and be your own God it will always go bad. And so you have the opportunity to go, I don't wanna do that this time. I just wanna say yes. I need some prayer though, because it feels like it feels, it's gonna feel like death to me. And so I wanna pray for you. And then we're just gonna open it up. We're just gonna have some people standing here. We're gonna stand together. We're gonna sing a song. If you wanna come down and get prayer, you wanna come down and give your life to the Lord, do that. And, and then we'll, we'll head to our day. So let me pray for us. Father, I bless these men and women. In the name of Jesus, thank you. We thank you that you died for our sins. We thank you that you have risen, that that's a historic, verifiable fact. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a, like you, you rose from the grave, 500 eyewitnesses. Like it just could go on and on on the historicity of it. But today we actually lean into the fact that you are the resurrection and the life. And so for those who don't know you, I just pray that today would be the day. And for those that know that they should be walking in a certain level of obedience and they've just dug in their heels, just ask that you would break through, Holy Spirit, that you would draw them up into your beauty and grace.
and they would be able to say yes to you. So I pray in all things you would cover us with your grace. We thank you. We are not outside of your kingdom. You've revealed yourself to us, and we thank you. And it's for your beautiful name I pray. Amen.